Hello friends, Bob Mackla here. This is my podcast, Two Degrees of Bob. Just another Bob in the crowd. And today's guest on Two Degrees of Bob, the seventh installment of what we hope to be a weekly podcast, if we can just get our shit together here at some point. It's happening, it's in the works. But uh, Craig Tomashoff is my guest. Craig is a writer, producer, living out in L.A., Craig and I met 20-plus years ago, mid-90s. Craig was a staff writer at People Magazine, and I was working down the hall at the Australian version of People Magazine. We were both writers um, on the, at the magazines, which led to many odd situations. I wrote a book about a book. <laughs> I didn't write a book. Well, I did late years later, but... I wrote a magazine article for Who Weekly on uh, people who were addicted to the OJ trial. Because I, as some of you may remember, back uh, when it was going down, it was on TV every day. And it was like uh, watching a soap, human soap opera, real life soap opera play out. So I got to do a story on people who were addicted to this thing. So I interviewed various people who had been following the trial. And I actually got to go to the trial one day. Sat about two or three rows behind OJ. Got to talk to Dominic Don at the uh, lunch recess. Called my mom from a payphone and um, told her what I was wearing. And she was able to see me in that small little courtroom. I even got a little eye contact with Marsha Clark. But the reason I bring that up is because Craig, in his duties as a People magazine writer, had a, uh, had a told me a great story when we were out in New Hampshire for the first presidential primary back in February of 2015. Oh, 2016, come on. So Craig tells me about how he was assigned, each uh, various members of the writing staff were assigned a different OJ juror, and they were supposed to stake out the home of the juror. Juror, that's not an easy word to say. Juror. The jurors, the, the members of the jury. So each one of them got a different member of the jury, and so Craig ended up going to South Central L.A., found the home of one of the jury members, and ended up befriending the, uh, the juror's father and got invited into the house while various members of the, uh, the press were parked in the street with their trucks and their reporters, and Craig somehow was the lone reporter invited into the home. When the jury, um, when the when the verdicts were read, cut to twenty plus years later, I'm on Facebook and I noticed that uh, our old friend from down the hall, Craig, has just taken a road trip around America for three weeks, interviewing various people who are running for president. Most of whom uh, we've never heard of and have no chance of winning. He was calling his book "The Candidates Running for President When Nobody Knows Your Name." And he was looking for a graphic designer or somebody who had any leads on publishing. So I reached out and uh, we ended up partnering up. I helped him. I did a, 
edited the book, did the layout, designed a book cover with uh, his input, and uh, we have a book that's great. Greg did a great job, and now we're trying to sell. The, the second edition is coming out. It's just come out. We've got some interesting quotes from uh, people like uh, Madeline Smithberg, the one, one of the co-creators of The Daily Show. David Duchovny had some nice things to say about it. We even got a quote from Ken Bone. You know, you know who Ken Bone is? Remember the sweat, red sweater guy during the debates? So, uh, it's a great book. I highly uh, suggest you read it. Go on Amazon and check out the reviews if you don't believe me. So here's my conversation with my friend and uh, now my business partner on this project, this book, Craig Tomashoff. And check out the book. Go to, You can buy it on Amazon.com, the second edition. You can also find the book at bobtomisticbooks.com. And if you don't know how to spell bobtomistic, just type in optimistic. So go to the website bobtomisticbooks.com where you can also order Craig's book, the second edition of Craig's great book, The Candidates Running for President When Nobody Knows Your Name. Now check this out, people. It's good shit. Now here's my conversation with Craig Tomashev. The afternoon, so it's all good. Busy is good. What do you? What, what's got you busy? Uh, it's uh, it's that two weeks of the year when uh, everybody wants an Emmy nomination. So Hollywood Reporter does got like five or six special Emmy issues and packages, and uh, they need people to write them. So for for two weeks, I scramble and make money, and then the nominations are in and. I go back to, uh, you know, applying for food service jobs. Oh, oh it's, it's not that dire, is it? I, I actually, uh, I'm supposed to go next week to, uh, to, uh, it's the only place that actually responded to, to of the, the many, uh, help wanted things I, I send out that, uh, a, a service that provides airline food needs uh needs people so uh i i may end up doing that just to, to earn a little side cash do it no shame in that uh as long as i don't have to eat the food then i figure <laughs> well let's sell some damn books man i i would be fine with that i uh i did notice that i'm up to 68 reviews so that's a plus i guess if every person that listens to this podcast left a review of the book, you'd you'd, you'd hit a hundred at least. If, if there's a way to uh, you know make it legally required, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to take all the for one thing that I know I can do is I'm going to take all the email addresses I accumulated um, selling the book on the Optimistic Book site and um, and hit those people up with the new cover the new just let them know what's going on and and ask them if they haven't already i would assume most of those people have probably already left a a review don't you think uh, i would think so yeah because i i mean 68 is a lot but it's not a lot and i was trying to think of like how how i got how we got to that number i don't know so it's got to be most people who got it have already have already done it because i don't have that many family and friends so uh so a lot of people have done it and i 
there's like a bunch of articles I've been seeing online and the independent book publisher sends out a magazine like every month that has different tips too on how to go about getting reviews. So I'm going to hopefully have time to try all those. It's basically just finding every blogger who's ever written anything remotely about the topic that you've got and sending them a personal email. Yeah. So, um, uh, it's it, it's a lot, but I've been sort of acquiring lists and uh, and need to put them together and then just start plowing through once once the new version's up. I figure I'll do that. Yeah, it requires a lot of list making. I've noticed, and I, I've I've been a list maker in the past, but when it comes to these kind of lists, it's just it seems like it's constant. And I know I have not done nearly as much as I I could have done, and I feel partly responsible for not um, getting um, getting more books sold, but you know, I still believe in the book more than ever, and it's just so timely with what's happening right there. I remember being in New, remember in New Hampshire, I, I mean, I told more than one person this story about how you, we kind of went our separate ways, we were there for a week, and we we're in the main hotel there, and, and we're both peeling off trying to get people to to talk to us and read the book or cover cover you and then you came back to me after a half an hour and you're like uh, yeah I just talked to a bunch of people over there and they give Trump a week three weeks at the most and this is what February remember that oh I actually remember we were at that that diner whatever morning it was I think it was like whatever the morning like it really snowed and we had just gotten there yeah, in Manchester, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that diner in probably five to ten other news pieces since then. That's the go-to diner in Manchester, I think. Uh, it's uh, you know they have many to choose from, but that seemed to be a big one. But I, I remember a guy. I don't know if he overheard us or we overheard him. But the guy who was handled the microphone for the Reagan thing, like you know, I'm paying for that microphone guy. Right. Uh, I, he he came over to us, and I thought he was the one who had said, "Yeah, Trump gave a speech last night and insulted everybody in this state because of whatever it was he said." I can't remember. Uh, yeah, nobody's nobody's going to vote for him now, and I remember believing that. So, oh god, oh man, every step of the way, your the jaw can't drop any lower, and and the just the shock and and repulsion just grows. And I know you personally have been, you've written a bunch of stuff on Huffington Post on how this has affected you. Are you, are you, um, is it, are you kind of resigned to it? Are you getting just deeper into like the Trump wormhole of despair and anxiety and fear and jeez? Oh, it's, it's off. I mean, I like everybody, like I can't even, I, I used to have this habit where I keep my phone next to me just in case, you know, somebody, my, you know, my kids called or there was some emergency or something. Uh, and then I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I do after checking emails is to go to a bunch of news sites. So I'm, you know, lay there at 6.30 in the morning looking for news. Uh, and I've had to stop doing that because it's so terrifying. I, then I can't get out of bed uh, if I allow myself to read what's going on. Uh, it's, it's just like I mean, but it is a wormhole, right? Like once once you start reading it, you can you cannot stop reading it. Yeah, Trump is Trump has become America's psychic crack. We can't we can't get off it. And there's a you know for a lot of people, it's it seems like it's a, they're they're loving. You know, people like 
I hate to say us and them. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be part of the us and them uh, dynamic. But certainly, it's. Um, I, I want to try to understand people that that um, voted for him, that tolerate his glaring weaknesses, who look the other way with his habitual lying. You just have to. I just want to know how these people think. But I know um, you. I've seen a few things you've written. At least one thing I know for sure that I, I could recall that where your your tolerance for people that have voted for Trump is it's it's hard to get there. I it's I mean they remind me of there's a couple essays I want to keep getting to and then I never quite get to them but one like the people who support him are actually worse than he is to me they're 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 the henchmen in like the old Batman thing or any comic book where like you get the supervillain. I understand them because they, you know, maybe a tortured childhood or something happened or whatever that they want world domination. So great. I, I get wanting world domination. What I don't get are the, the drone bee workers who go, all right, yeah, we'll follow this guy. Yeah, whatever. Oh, you want us to beat some people up? Uh, all right. That's fine. Uh, it's a job. It's a living. Uh, but don't you think I, I kind of feel like that's a it's a small percentage of the people that voted for him. I think most people that voted for him either held their nose voting for him because they despise Hillary that much. They voted for jobs. It was more of like a practical, more for practical reasons than more so than I really admire how this guy thinks and operates. I, I feel like that's a that's a small percentage of Americans who get blown up and lumped into this other huge group of people that are that a lot of people on the left are finding hard to tolerate and understand. Yeah, it's no, I think I mean, I think you're right. But I, I would also say, though, that it's still more kind of repulsive to me, I guess, is the word that like you went, eh, all right, I, I have no real conviction of my own. So eh, I mean, that guy seems fine. I'll go with him. I'll do what he says. That and that's the the henchman mentality is you you don't actually process information you just go along with the boss because hey he's kind of a bully but you know he's not beating up on me so it's cool yeah he's signing my checks I got a job and or he's he's promised me a job that's I mean actually the thing that I I was trying to write this week and I probably won't get to again because too many other things going on but yeah I, I you know realized the other day that I I. I would be like the prototypical Trump voter, I suppose, if you believe everything the pundits say, where it's old white guys who are out of jobs and their industry is kind of left them behind and they're trying to figure out how to cope and they're confused and you know they they grew up either in a small town or the suburbs and uh, feel alienated by the times. Uh, kids are kind of grown now and uh, and they're feeling kind of adrift and. Like that's that's me. Like all of that describes my entire life, and yet I could not, you know, disagree with everything Donald Trump says more. Yeah. So I don't get this. Like everybody writing him off, going, yeah, you know, it's just that that white older male anger. That's what got him elected. You know, there's there's got to be something more because I'm I'm that white angry guy. And I process these thoughts. I didn't blame other people. I you know, try to understand and rationalize. And um, I, I just, I think it, there's got to be more than just, ah, you know, white, white, angry, out of work guys. Uh, yeah. You know, that's why he's president. There's, there's something else.
Yeah, it's a it's a simplistic way of, of painting the picture, and and as you know, I mean that's that's one of the beauties of what you did, and and even though it hasn't had the financial uh, impact in your life yet, um, you still you still have the experience of this to to really listen to Americans at a what's obviously now a crucial point in our history, and get a get a pulse on what people are really thinking, and and. So funny that you had that, you had your ear to the ground to these people, to what people were really feeling and thinking, but yet you probably, as you're writing, did you feel like that was outside the mainstream and this kind of uh, frustration and disillusionment, is, is it going to translate to getting somebody like Trump in office? You were far from believing that, right? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, although like at, at the the very basic of the premise of the book that, you know, they tell us anybody could be president, but it's not really true. Uh, and so that was the operating premise. And then Trump comes along and proves you don't have to be a career politician. If you, if you act just like us, uh, you know, however you define us, um, you know, suddenly, oh, well, maybe you, you can get it, get elected. In, so in one sense, he's actually validation of everything I was talking about, but at the same time, he's the exact opposite of everything I was talking about because it is a story of these people who actually have faith in the system. And that's what I've sort of come to realize and in, in kind of looking back at it, that everybody in the book, we think they're crazy, but like they all, to one degree or another, even Berman Supreme, uh you know, have a belief in the in the system and that maybe by doing this somehow they're going to affect even like a minute bit of change. Uh, and that makes them infinitely better than Donald Trump and everybody who supported him because <laughs> those, well, those people are just cynics. They're just like, yeah, government works. Let's go back to the old days. It was better back then. Uh, these people in the book actually don't believe that. And I think they kind of represent America the more I wrote about it, the more I realized that they represent America way better than than Trump does, any of the other Republicans do, or Democrats. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it just got me more frustrated that nobody, everybody writes them off as uh, as lunatics. And I think we're, we're kind of missing it a little bit. If, you, if you're a pundit who really thinks there's this forgotten class of American out there, that's these people. Yeah. Yeah. That we're talking to. Yeah, they're they're like these idealistic nights you know, some would say naive, but it's more idealism than naivete, I think. They just want they want to believe that it can work and if you have if you're the right kind of person and you have the right ideas. And I, I still I don't I don't know where you come out on it after doing this thing, but um I believe this before and I believe it now. I, I think there's there's room for somebody that's got the the populism of 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 uh, Trump, but has more the ideals ideals of a uh, Bernie Sanders, and maybe somebody who's forty years younger. That that person, you don't. I don't. I feel like, and the way that Obama, uh, Barack Obama raised money in two thousand eight, someone's going to come along who people don't know. He's going to have charisma and great ideas. Maybe he's got a some kind of heroic backstory. And he's going to say all the right things and do all the right things. And he's going to use social media and all the available technology. And he's going to do what Donald Trump did. That's the hope that I have. Do you think that's possible? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think if there's, if there's any positive uh, that comes out of the Trump administration, other than, you know, New York Times subscriptions going way up, uh, <laughs> and, and actually getting journalists out their asses and doing something, uh, that's a plus. Uh, but the other plus, I think, somewhere in there is he, he does, like, the victory of an outsider does make other outsiders think, oh, yeah, maybe I can do it. But I'm going to do it in a way that is truly populist, that he has certainly opened it up for somebody Bernie-esque who really does speak to the people, but somebody who has experience as one of the people. Uh, I think that's that's what I hope comes along, and I think it can. Uh, It's like the, the early part of the book, too, is about how every politician wants to be a regular person and they they want to be the one who comes to the barbecue and has the beer and uh eats at chipotle um but everybody does it cynically up to this point so i think there's there's certainly an opening for somebody who's smart but real to to come across in the way that donald trump just pretends to come across yeah uh, i mean christ so the guy has a ten thousand dollar portrait of himself i don't know a lot of real people who do that uh, the list is endless of uh, with Trump of not a lot of real people do that. It goes on and on and on. Um, but uh, but so so this experience that you had of three weeks, fifteen different um, on, um, citizen candidates running for president, has that has um, it given you more hope, less hope? How, how do you, how do how do you come out at the end of the politically and and um, how's the future look? Uh, I mean, actually, it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, it's the, the optimistic part is that, you know, there are people out there who still, we think they're crazy, but they believe in the, in, that there is a system and that, uh, problems can actually be solved. Uh, it was nice to find people who haven't really given up. Uh, cause everybody in there, yeah, even, even Vermin Supreme is still trying. Like they, they, they still believe that, uh, that individuals can make a difference. And that's kind of cheery, uh, I think. And, and the other thing that I had realized probably like halfway through too, and talking to everybody is that, uh, the pundits and everybody like, like you to think that it's uh, red versus blue, it's Democrat versus Republican, it's liberal versus conservative. But from what I found, you know, everybody who's in the book and everybody I kind of met on the way, with a few lunatic exceptions, uh, <laughs> not name, not to name any names. Yeah. No, nah, it, but it's also just like people, you know, who, who I would encounter at a diner or, you know, something who, who I would talk to, who were the, the fringe people sometimes, not the actual candidates. Yeah. Uh, but they, they're not Republican. They're not Democrat. They're not liberal. They're not conservative. They're just people with, with very little in, in terms of what we think of as success in their lives. You know, there's, there's nobody that I talked to who was, you know, even probably middle class to something like they were all struggling Uh, and it it sort of became clear that that's that's what we're about is not you know I'm I'm liberal you're conservative not going to talk to each other we're not going to listen it's everybody with a struggle kind of needs to get together because we have that in common 
and that's what gave me hope that uh, you know in out of the the struggle to survive people might find a kinship uh because trump has kindled that like uh you know an awareness that things aren't going great um it's just it's transferring that the the downside is that uh you know we we all still think these people are lunatics uh you know that uh, that somebody who does this is crazy uh and instead of looking at the positive in the they're they're doing something that's important to them so what's wrong with that Uh, right they're not to be ridiculed they're to be admired for it and and i I think that your your book did a great job of humanizing these people and making us realize that they're not they're not just one note crazy people yeah it's uh and they do deserve a little ridicule every once in a while like you know when when you get uh, driven to uh, a presidential candidate's parole officer you know, not so there, there's some room for amusement there, or when uh, you know the, the candidate in Vegas plays his rap songs for you, uh, then, then there's there's a little humor there. Uh, but but overall, it's and I know we you know we've talked about this a lot. And you kind of helped me guide it to the the process of the book, and that at the end of the day, it's not a political book, and it's not about politics. It's you know, here's something I want to do. Everybody's telling me I'm a little nuts for doing it, but I'm going to do it because it's important to me. Uh, and that's what I kind of admire about those people. And that's what I think my process was, is doing the book. Everybody told me it was stupid to do the book. Uh, and ultimately, maybe it you know, still is somehow, but I did it. Uh, these people are doing it no matter how many family members disown them. Uh, and that hopefully is the bigger the bigger picture everybody's left with is not a political one but hey this is america do what you believe that's why we're here you know ho- yeah. hopefully that comes through yeah oh it does it definitely does and i love how your story mirrors their story you you had a you had that kinship you're talking about with your with your subject and it definitely showed showed through in the writing and that's that's really what we all need at this time right now is to try to understand each other try to try to have some empathy for people that you might think are crazy and and uh you i think your journey out doing this book is a perfect example of that which you can get out of it yeah i mean uh, hopefully it, it inspires people to do whatever kind of crazy thing is on their mind even if it's you know go back to school or uh you know try a vietnamese food because you never done it like whatever scale it is you know, do something that you think is crazy because otherwise you never know. Uh, and, uh, and I do admire these people for not listening to everybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and letting me sit down with them for five hours and go through it. Cause I was about the average length of an interview was half a day with most of these folks. Wow. And did you, um, so you've gone back and tried to, so we're coming out with a second edition. And you've gone back and, and reconnected with most of them, right? So, so for some follow-up? Uh, yeah, every, everybody but uh, one, the, the boxer in Brooklyn, uh, who told, told me his job, he'd worked his way up to being uh, kind of a maintenance worker on a Navy, a merchant marine ship. Uh, and he may be shipping out at any moment. He is in the wind. Could not find him. Uh, Do you have an address for him? He's my, he, he's my neighbor. I can go to his house and knock on his door. 
Yeah, he never gave me his address. He gave me two different phone numbers, uh, and and because he had two different flip phones, uh, oh. both of which <laughs> were were cracked and barely functioning. Uh, <laughs> and he hasn't answered those. And and I met him at uh, the boxing gym. I forget the name of it. The Gleason Gym, the famous gym in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, where everybody knew him. So you know, he 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 had a core group of supporters. Uh, but, um, yeah, he's, he, he's nowhere to be found, but everybody else, uh, I heard from, you know, one degree or another, some had abandoned their campaigns not that long after I talked to him, um, uh, and, and didn't have as much to say about, you know, what, what course the campaign took, but then other people have already filed, uh, to run for 2020. How, how many of them are running again? Uh, about half, I think. Seems like it was about really? six or seven, maybe. Well, we know Verm Vermin's definitely running till the day he dies, so that, there's one for sure. That's how we know democracy will officially be over. If Vermin Sabrina does not run, then we we truly live in a fascist world. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, but like the Sydney's voluptuous buttocks, um, they they're planning on running again. Uh, and both, but both, but when you say they, I guess you're referring to each butt cheek. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I forget it. It's funny because they they do still sort of keep up the pretense that there is an actual Sydney. Uh, but once again, when I even did my follow-up, like they never even said, Oh, she can't make it again. Uh, which is what happened throughout the process of doing the book. Uh, just the two guys who created the idea of Sydney's voluptuous buttocks, uh, who call themselves the committee uh, to elect Sydney. Uh, I think it's just them. But uh, they clearly by the name, they did it, you know, as a prank. And they talked about in the book how they just thought all politicians were were a holes. Uh, so why not have a literal a hole run for office? So they did it as a <laughs> joke. But they they had both said in the course of doing this. Suddenly, I got on paying attention to the news and and realizing things that were wrong, you know, in the country, uh, and and made them politically aware and politically active, and they started doing protests. Uh, and you know, they'll never get another vote or a vote, probably, but it doesn't matter because doing this got them noticing politics, and noticing politics made them active. And you know, what what could be better than that? And everybody else. I mean, there's some people who. You know, we'll, we'll insist on running Josh Usera, who's who uh, is the guy in Rapid City who took me to his parole officer, or probation officer, I should say, probation officer. Uh, um, you know, he's he's already got a campaign plan and he's got videos in place, and um, uh, you know, the, the the ones with energy like him uh, are completely determined to keep it going. Now, do you think a lot of these people are doing it for the tension? They're doing it for um, a little dose of self-esteem. Um, how many of these people are going into it with, with some real deep in the recesses of their brain dream that they could somehow actually either win or, or, or get close? Uh, it, well, I mean, I think they're all doing it for attention of one sort or another. Like, I mean, they, they all want to be noticed. Uh, but you know, not for an ego-driven reason. It's they think they have ideas that can fix the country, and why won't anybody listen to me? 
because uh, one of the ultimate human needs is we just want people to listen to us. Uh, so, I mean, I think they're they're doing it for that purpose. And as became kind of clear to me when I sat down to write, not so much I think as I was out on the road, is that everybody had some thing in their past that made running for president you know, seem perfectly logical and maybe a way of kind of helping that past. Uh, because like you would say, I mean, it does, I think, help their self-esteem. I, ironic because everybody thinks they're nuts for doing it, but for them, it kind of helped them feel better about themselves. Yeah. There's a, there's a pride that they get in, in having, being able to tell people they they're running or they ran for president, even if, even if they get two votes. Yeah. So I was actually the very last person, Ruby May in Austin had told me, like, why doesn't everybody do this? You're crazy if you don't, because you've got that opportunity. Uh, so why not do it? Uh, and I think that's a, that's a kind of brilliant way of thinking that nobody does. Like, you know, it's very hard for us to picture it actually being normal to run for, uh, for president because we're just not brought up that way. Uh, but, you know, why, why not? I mean, the opportunity is there. Why not take advantage of it? And, um, yeah, personally, I will never do it. I have no intention of running for president, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I totally get why somebody would, uh, yeah. especially after, you know, talking to these people. Yeah. It's a, it's an act of civil, civic, it's like, you know, if you can look at it, like if it's your civic duty and really it's just a way to put forth your ideas and, and hopefully we'll get at, at some point we'll get to get to the point where the, the value of your ideas or what your, what your candidacy is, um, judged on not, not all the other crap, how much money you have, how long you've been in, off or in, in, in politics, obviously that one's fallen now, but so, so it does seem to be, a little bit more wide open than it did a year ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, I, I am sort of hopeful. I mean, everybody in the book is an outlier when it comes to running for an office because you know hardly anybody's ever going to start by running at the top. Uh, but hopefully, everything we're seeing now, and and maybe even you know the example they set, gets people running for something because uh, we need people in every level of government participating uh, and trying to make a difference. Uh, they, there's a stat, God, I wish I could remember it now, I think it, I, when in looking at every single office from you know local school board member to president, uh, I think in their lifetimes, 2% of America will file for office or 2% of voters will file for office, something like that. Uh, which seems kind of wrong, really. Like, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't that be, you know, closer to 50% that half the people think they have what it takes to run for an office? Yeah. Um, whatever the office is, it seems like there, there should be more desire to, to try to you know, achieve it. I think that's changing, though. And, and that it, you were talking before about what can be some, uh, some positive things that come from Trump. And, and anyone who... By the way, anyone who is listening to this who might be a Trump fan or Trump voter, this is no disrespect. I I personally am am all ears and w willing and wanting to hear what you uh, like about the guy. I personally think he's a, a lying crook. Um, <laughs> so um, 
if people could define it in terms of, you know, something positive instead of, you know, I mean, this is ancient history sort of now, but define, he was defined in terms of, God, we hate Hillary, uh, lock her up, uh, everything that happened, the emails, all of that, like, that's not a reason to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, and that's the reason it's always given. Uh, or was given back then. I have no idea what your rationale would be now, uh, but I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot. There's a lot of rationales. I, I personally, I mean, I, I have a lot of people, um, friends and family. You look at my Facebook feed. I try to, I try not to discriminate politically with people who are on my radar or in my, in my life. So um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm exposed to many Trump voters and they're, and they all have different reasons for, for having uh, voted for him. Um, everything from Supreme court, they're, they're pro-life anti-abortion and, and the Supreme court's going to decide that that's one issue. And I think a lot of people voted for him based on one or two or three issues and, and to the exclusion of all the red flags uh, with the guy. Um, and personally, that's not, and, 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 and Hillary voters were asked to do the same thing. So I'm no different than a lot of people not happy with their, with either choice. And this, this is, it was the worst, the worst field possible as a, as a voter who wants a little integrity in, in the office. Disappointing. It's, I mean, what Trump did, actually what uh, the the entire GOP has sort of done is, is found a great way to convince people to vote against their self-interest by, you know, focusing on uh, abortion or focusing on gay marriage or any of those things uh, that you know, people can get passionate about to the point where your passion blinds you to anything else. Uh, so the more they hammer on something that makes you you know, want to vote for Trump out of pure emotion without really thinking about it. That's how they, that's how he did it. And that's how they win. Uh, because there's certainly no argument about, or, they did not win on, we're going to make your life better. Uh, or traditionally they have in the last few years, they kind of went over the, you know, God, you, you hate uh, all, all those pro-choice people. Yeah, we do too. We're going to make sure they don't, or do you hate gay marriage? All right, uh, we're going to take care of that. But that's a, that was a certain. That's definitely how they sold it to a certain um, block of voters. But they also sold it like he sold himself as the guy who was going to make their life better, who was going to bring jobs back. I think that that obviously definitely was a, a a significant chunk of it. It's just hard to say how much that matter versus how much it was abortion, how much it was the Supreme Court, how much it was uh, the people just voting for lower uh, or lower taxes. I mean, there's, it's just, it's so nuanced and gray and it gets painted in such black and white terms that that's what's frustrating to me. And that's what, that's what I think more than anything, um, it, it just brings it all back to where you're saying before, people have this need to, to, to be heard and to be listened to and, Trump seemed to be for for um, for better or worse. He seemed he came off as the guy that was listening to the voters, and he was angry like that. He was really good at playing angry. He was real good at blaming others, and and that there's a certain part of the electorate who elect, electorate who just just bought that. 
Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you're actually using the word blame, I think, is, is exactly it because that's something else I've been trying to figure out a way to write about is the, the entire philosophy is there's got to be somebody, some group out there responsible for my misfortune. Uh, that uh, I'm not working uh, because this ethnic group came into the country and they stole my job. Yeah. You know, that there's always the Republican Party, I think, or the one I sort of grew up with was all about personal responsibility that, uh, you know, we we have to take charge of our own lives. We don't want the government doing it. We we want to be in charge of ourselves. And yet what seems to have happened in, in Trump world is it's almost the opposite. It's, you know, blame. Find somebody at fault. Trump is very good at constantly finding, you know, Hillary's at fault for something. Uh, Mexicans are at fault for something. Uh, uh, Muslims are responsible for something. And it's never, you know, they, they did not spend a lot of time looking inward, uh, which yeah. I think is, is where the answers are. The hypocrisy, the hypocrisy is just so aggravating. Certainly the Republicans don't have a corner of the market on political hypocrisy, but I just, what you're saying, yeah, the, the party of personal responsibility is also now the party that's blaming uh, um, every other ethnicity for their their troubles, their problems, and that's that's aggravating. Another one I can't uh, realize, we're driving from uh, my, my niece's graduation on Sunday, and we're listening to um, this guy, Dan Carlin. Do you know who Dan Carlin is? Uh I, yeah, I don't think so. I, He's got a couple really popular podcasts. One's called Hardcore History and another one called Common Sense. Yeah, that does he, sound He's really good. But I mean, he was pointing out the fact that, um, you know, the, uh, the the right, the Republican Party is, is um, so adamant about the Constitution when it comes to the right to bear arms and, and uh, gun, gun control. But when it comes to things like... Um, Trump launching missiles on a sovereign nation without going to Congress for a declaration of war and just doing it with, without, um, you know, 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, World War II, you had to go to Congress before you bombed another country. And now the presidents just get to do it and they don't, they, they don't look, they, they completely look the other way. The, the Constitution is meaningless when it comes to um, war. It's just, it's, it's amazing how the, the hypocrisy just piles up on, on itself, and you really look closely and think about it. But we're we're real good at the turning a blind eye and the cognitive dissonance. I guess it's part of part of being in this culture. It's it's what we do. Although uh, to be fair to Donald Trump, he was on a sugar high from the uh, great chocolate cake. <laughs> so I I think we got to give him a pass on that one. Uh, yeah, the fact that he was out to dinner at his club. Surrounded by fellow club uh, goers, it was like he was at a cheesecake factory and um, hanging out with a with a famous uh, dissident or not, not dissident, but a, he was he was with a leader of China, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I would actually have uh, have the people at the cheesecake factory uh, celebrating their kid's eleventh birthday make the international decisions. Uh, than uh, than the group that was there at Mar-a-Lago doing it because uh, I think they would they would have a better sense of what's going on than uh, than he does. Uh, but it's it is I you know I, I just 
everything that seems to come from him now is antithetical to everything that came before. Uh, and I'm not sure where that takes us. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how we then, when the next election, you know, comes around, uh, everything that he's done, how do you then go back and resell the old ideas to the people who put you in office in the first place? Uh, you know, to, to go back and sell your, your Muslim ban when you've just come back from, uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, completely contradicting everything you've said. Well, he's just, yeah, he's, he, but think about this. He's also went over there and he signed a, what, $110 billion defense uh, package with the Saudis, which means jobs, jobs, jobs. So he's always finds a way to play up the positive, ignore the, the negative or lie about the negative. And he's just, I mean, they call Reagan the, the Teflon president. This guy, blows him out of the water nothing sticks because it's always something the next day it's a it's amazing no he's he's the henry hill of uh politics uh the you know he can he can come into town and sell anything because that's that's all he knows how to do uh i i think ultimately the and, and you know a lot of people were talking about reasons that people voted for him i i heard frequently the um the reasoning that, hey, you know what? We've had people in government running government. We need to, we need somebody who knows business because we need to run the government like a business. Uh, I think it's safe to say now that the government is being run by a business. That's not a good idea. Uh, well, he was a shitty businessman. The thing is, maybe let's see what would happen if he brought in a good businessman. He's a shitty businessman who was born at third base and he's been bankrupt four times. And if you look closely at, at the way he ran things, he ran his, his Atlantic City casinos into the ground. He's made, he's had, he's gotten lucky. He's probably, he's good at schmoozing, but he's also, there's plenty to make you go. Is this the business guy that we want behind the wheel? I don't think so. Well, it's, I mean, the, the very the model of business is it's yours. If you're the guy at the top, if you want to fire somebody, that's it. They're gone. Uh, if you want to cut benefits to your employees, that's it. They're gone. They can go somewhere else if they want, if they want a different benefits, uh, if, if they want a different boss, pack up and go. You can't do that when you're a politician, especially the president. You can't say to the, you know, two thirds of America that don't like what you're doing, eh, tough. You know, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Cause we can't. Uh, and, and that, to me, is like the completely fundamental difference between business and, and politics is in politics, you may hate the people who disagree with you, but you still have to live with them. Uh, yeah. In business, you don't. You can live in your own bubble forever if you want. Uh, and, and that's what we're seeing now is you know, a, a guy who thinks he can fire somebody uh, who's doing something he doesn't like, and then what he doesn't like goes away. Uh, you know, in this case, you can fire the FBI director, but it's not going anywhere. It's only going to make it worse. And to think that, and and to think that it would help, and to think that it's just so clueless to think that a you're firing the guy that's investigating you, and b the next day you've got the very people that you're being investigated for in your damn office, and and you're barring the American press, and you only have Russian press there. 
It's, just, it's it's like it's like it's like a black comedy. You couldn't script that. It's like this guy is like trying to do everything he possibly can to either get impeached, get kicked out, get killed, or God, it's just it's like one it's one thing after another. It's amazing. Well, it's again. I think his his whole sheltered life. He he's never had to deal with people like you know actually deal with people as people probably ever. To him, they're either marks uh, that you're trying to sell Trump University to or, you know, people who really do know what they're doing and you're trying to kiss their ass and suck up to them. You forgot that subset of people you're trying to sleep with, which is a pretty big uh, group, too. Yeah. It's, well, they, they have something you want, uh, yeah. you know, whether, whether it's, you know, the woman you want to sleep with or, you know, Bloomberg in New York, who he was always jealous of, I think, because Bloomberg did know how to run uh, businesses. Uh, but there's never the, the thing that actually occurred to me, and I told somebody this the other day, and and everybody just laughs it off. But but actually, I'm 100 percent serious. Donald Trump needs a puppy uh, <laughs> because, like you know, every president had a pet right, for like years. I think going back 100 years or more, every president's had a pet. Uh, you know, or you know, they, they, they've had little kids, or they've had something that softens him up a little bit. And you go, well, you know, that's kind of a dick when he did that, but God, look how much he loves his puppy. He can't be all bad. Uh, Trump has has no warmth coming off him whatsoever. If he had just a little bit, he's got charisma, but he doesn't have warmth. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that, I mean, it actually kind of drives me crazy that more people don't talk about it. Even back, go back to the inauguration uh, when traditionally you drag out the, the high school science teacher and the best friend from the third grade to say why this presidential candidate is is a real human being. Uh, and they tell personal anecdotes about, oh, this charming time when, uh, you know, they, he lit himself on fire in the backyard barbecue. Like, whatever it is, there's always those personal anecdotes. Uh, zero with him. Nobody ever gets up and says, "Oh, that was this funny time when Don did blank." Uh, there's there's never the cute photo of him playing with the puppy on the lawn. Uh, he's got a young son who you never see him with ever. Yeah, ever, right? No playing, you know. Oh, the J JFK and John John photos. You never see him playing. The kid looks miserable. The wife looks miserable because it's all about dad. Of course, always. I it's. I mean, if you look at Sasha and Malia, you know they live there. The Bush twins, you know they yeah. were there. Uh, Chelsea, she was there. Uh, you know, it, it, all of these things, regardless of party, you'd, you'd look at and go, oh well, you know what? At least he, he loves his kids too, uh, and uh, and so it can't be all bad. Uh, but there's there's nothing. The, the the greatest ruse I think he's pulled is he comes across as I'm the real guy. I'm the regular one. I talk just like you. But at the same time, he is the exact opposite of that. There's, there's nothing that comes across as real. Well, what it is, you know what it is, uh, what I'm either, it's what it is, I think is he's unpolished. That's what, that's what comes across as real. It's not the humanity. It's not the empathy. It's not the, warmth that you have with your family and your, your kids and your grandkids it's it's like he's 
he's rough around the edges like most of us are he's not the polished tv guy that's where he's the real guy and every other aspect he's he's a freak he's not like us yeah i i mean he i, I would actually like somebody uh you know at one of the cable news networks to get video of just one of those guys who tries to sell you a timeshare in the bahamas uh and record their sales pitch and then play a trump speech because it's pretty much the same it's it's a little rambling it's a little folksy uh it's uh it's kind of making it uh you know a little us versus them that that's his only skill is selling you on stakes that you're never going to want but hey you bought them so you know jokes yeah. on you uh, selling you on a university that will never help you, but you paid your money, so joke's on you. Uh, that's his skill. Uh, you know, but uh, he's, he's got the superpower of of convincing people of something that you know they they either don't want or is absolutely not true. Yeah. Uh, and it's all just in his speaking style. So I, I to me, I think it's all calculated. I, I don't think that it's it's you know, to me, I don't see it as a rough around the edges thing. I think it's just he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that people will eat it up if uh, if he stammers a little bit and he says the word folks all the time and uh, and all of that. Um, you think he's that smart to be that calculating, huh? I mean, to me, I yes, I think he is. Yeah. It's uh, but that. That's his training. That's where the business training comes in. Is you know how how do you make a sale? You don't do it by you know, appearing to be on the other side of something. You want to be on the side with the people you're trying to sell it to. So it's hey, it's you and me, buddy. Like you know, you really want that timeshare? I know. Um, that that's a calculated skill, I think, that he has. Which, you know, just, I mean, to, to go back to all of the candidates, that's what I think was the most fun thing about him is absolutely zero calculation in anything right. they're doing. If they, if they were calculated <laughs> people, they wouldn't be doing this. Uh, so it's, you know, I, I, you know, in, in enjoyed that and I, I wish we could see more of that complete, like, you know, just, naive innocence, I suppose. Maybe we should run a puppy for president. Do you think it's possible to 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 go far in politics to, to become president if you're if you don't have that? Um is it possible? Sure. Uh you know, is it great? Probably not. But the thing that and I think most of the people actually in the book told me in the is that they're smart enough to know what they don't know. Uh, so Harley Brown, I don't know. I, I think he would be a little dangerous, uh, since he wants to nuke everybody, uh, yeah. and, and actually says it flat out, uh, who he wants to nuke. Uh, but I think, you know, m most normal people and, and most people in the book would know, God, you know what? I don't know the first thing about foreign policy. So I'm going to talk to a bunch of people and find somebody within government with the experience who I can rely on and they'll be the one to deal with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy world. It's never going to happen, but I think you could certainly elevate to a high office, you know, without knowing all the details uh, about it. I mean, if I'm, I may be wrong, but I, I don't think Al Franken had ever run for anything before he became the Senator. 
Yeah, I love Al Franken. I vote. I vote for him tomorrow if he ran for president. He's brilliant. oh, it's, I mean, he's he's brilliant. Like he he knows that personality, you know, trick that you got to do to to you know just communicate with people. Uh, but at the same time, he clearly comes across as somebody who's done his homework. That he knows who to talk to to get the information if he doesn't know that information. Uh, and did you see him? Did you see him questioning Gorsuch? Oh yeah, no, I I totally did. I I actually enjoy and and I this is how I know he he's making a name for himself because when you see fifty different Facebook links uh, after a hearing and they're all uh, Al Franken. Uh, um, you know, that's, and, and as a side note, by the way, I do blame Donald Trump for totally ruining Facebook for all of us. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, it used to be kind of fun. And, uh, and the worst thing you could complain about was, you know, somebody putting the cupcakes they had for dessert on, uh, on their Facebook page. Um, now it's like, God, you just can't even go on because it's, uh, nothing but the people complaining about the same things, uh, half of which might not even be real. Uh, yeah, exactly. Have you lost have, have you lost friends over over Facebook postings? No, I, well, I have, but not for that. I think it's the porn, probably. But uh, <laughs> well, what are you putting your porn on Facebook for? Uh, just I I just thought you know America would want to see the real me. That's all. <laughs> Turns out I was wrong. But you never know until you try. Uh, thank God he's kidding, folks. Thank God it's a joke. <laughs> as far as you know, as far as you know. oh, uh, but it no book sales. Really, I, I haven't lost friends, but I will say that it's it just makes it kind of a drag that everything is so partisan that if you you only want to have your friends on there, right? Because like, what's the point otherwise? But all no, I I just I just. I, I disagree. I, I, I am. I mean, I'm trying to, like I said before, I don't want to kick somebody off just because they have a, um, a different political point of view than I do. And even if I find that political point of view reprehensible, I, I feel just for me that it's important to hear those voices and try to understand where they're coming from, even though yeah, no, um, I'm not, I'm not yeah. talking politically, though. I mean, I'm just yeah. talking like why you would never add somebody you've never heard of and you have no friends in common and, and, you know, maybe they politically disagree with you, but you don't know that. So the, the, usually when you're adding somebody on Facebook, you know, them, or, you know, somebody knows them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and so from that standpoint, it's highly likely that their opinion, because you have some degree of connection to them, your opinion's probably going to be in the same ballpark. Not in my case. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I would say, then, you know, for me, it's, I don't, there's hardly anybody on there that I don't at least have some degree of knowledge of and I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, but what I have found in trying to, like, I try to do the experiment everybody seems to have done now, which is spend, a day or a week or whatever, trying to get your news from conservative sources. So you know what the argument is, you know what the other side is. Yeah. Uh, and so I would you know, join groups that were conservative groups. And uh, so I could see what was going on. Uh, but 
they and and some of the individuals and then some of the sites are just as strident on the right as the people I know are on the left. Uh, and I would be fine with uh, having as many people as wanted to come to Facebook and give me logical arguments about why Donald Trump is the best choice. I'm fine with that. I would love to know. Uh, but you don't, I don't find that on Facebook. I find either, you know, Bernie people ranting about how Hillary is evil, uh, Hillary people still completely disillusioned that she ever had a chance, yeah. uh, and, and that it's everybody else's fault. I mean, they blame just yeah. as much as, uh, as the other side does. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, you've got those extremes over and over again. Uh, and then on the right, it's just, as extreme I, I don't there's no moderate voice because i'd be happy to have that uh i think the majority of people I, I think if you sat down with most people the majority of people are are moderate are, are moderates are probably somewhere closer to the middle it's just the the loudest voices are the ones that get heard in the and there's there tends to be a certain strident kind of person that is 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 on on these kinds of things and and being loud and and doing it often and most people I don't think are are in that in that in that uh, in that I don't know exhibit that kind of behavior. I could be wrong, but and maybe I'm just being excessively optimistic. But but I, I that's what I that's just what I think based on watching and listening and and uh, yeah. I, I mean, I agree that I think most people are moderate. I mean, that that was what I was saying before about the people in the book. Like nobody's, you know, uh, uh, nobody that I talked to was Republican or Democrat or, you know, overly conservative, overly liberal. They were just people trying to get by. But Facebook is is sort of built on that. Hey, look at me over here. Facebook, you you have to become the guy in the rainbow wig at a at a sporting event. <laughs> you're, you're nothing if you don't get noticed. Uh, and, and you feel unencumbered now to share anything. Uh, and, and that includes politics to a point where that's what everybody wants to share. Uh, and, and there is a group think that you lock into. I mean, if you're a moderate voice, nobody wants to go, Hey, look at me over here. I'm in the middle. I, I, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm moderate. You know, you've got some good points and you've got some good points. Nobody wants to hear that, and we should. I'm not. Well, you, but, but you were you were just saying that you you want to hear that, but nobody's those kind of voices aren't don't seem to get as heard as as much as the the ragers on on both sides. Yeah, but it's I, I you know if you, if you look you know at, at the world, what sells and cable news is as much of a you know perpetrator of this as anything is. Uh, you know, noise and partisanship are what people, at, at least people in positions of power, think sell. They think that's yeah. what everybody wants. Uh, and that's it. Where you just you just nail you just. I think I'm sorry to keep interrupting. You just nailed it right there. The people in positions of power think that's what people want. And, and as we keep getting served this up, that's have there been a more. Uh, toned down, moderate voices out there, and that's been presented the way this stuff has. I, I know conflict sells and gets the eyeballs, and Trump's a perfect example of that. But there's got to be a better way, closer to um, you know, respectful dialogue versus 
uh, enraged um, um, partisanship. Uh, yeah, well, that's why the the you know moderate thinking people need to. Yeah, I actually I'm not even sure what they need to do except to stop watching. As long as people watch cable news and uh, and encourage it, then you know then you're gonna you're gonna get what you deserve. Uh, what I think, I don't know what moderates can actually do except get, get elected and change, uh, change the viewpoint. I think if, if they can, if people who understand both sides, but then find a third way to go, uh, can, can start running and getting noticed, maybe everything will change. But it's getting noticed. That's the key. It's getting noticed. And how do you get noticed unless you're, 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 you're not the extreme. The extreme is easy to get noticed. You're doing, you're, you're out there. Well, it's, you know, just the, the thing that usually gets written off as liberal, uh, the, the thing of, uh, being open-minded, of being open to anything, uh, to consider. You don't have to support everything, but you should hear everything. Uh, that seems to get written off as, uh, as liberal thinking when I think it's, it's just normal thinking. Uh, but if we can get to that point where we're open-minded about everything, where it's not, you know, going, oh, wait, that, uh, that housewife in, in Virginia wants to run for president. God, that's crazy. Uh, if you can be open-minded enough to go, oh, yeah, she's never going to win, but, uh, let's hear what she has to say. Yeah. That's, I think, the key to kind of turning things around. Uh, and and I don't think we're anywhere near that. I don't think we're anywhere near <laughs> the let's let's listen to everybody. Because uh, I, I can't remember who it was in the course of talking to everybody. Maybe when I was on the road trip or when I came back, somebody I talked to had said, you know, how hard is it for a network or a website or you know something to accommodate everybody who wants to run for president. I mean, the total was around 1,800, I think, of all the people who applied. Um, and so how, how hard is it to say, you know, here on our CNN website, send us a picture and send us a graph of what you would do as president. Just, you know, send it. How hard would that be? Yeah, that's perfect to start. Uh, it's, you know, at least if you, if you have that, Granted, a small percentage of people are going to read through all that, but somebody's going to read through it, and maybe something will strike them, and they tell two people, and and, and at least different voices are getting heard. Uh, I, you know, I thought repeatedly, and I'm trying to put this through like way back in, in the course of doing the book when I got back, that if you took uh, what the Republican candidates at the time when I was out on the road were saying, but and what they supported, took their names off that sheet of paper took everybody that I was talking to and what they stood for and take their names off the paper. And you just had somebody look at it and go, who's got the best idea. I think some of the people in the book would probably get picked uh, because then suddenly you're just basing it on logical thinking uh, yeah. instead of whatever other things contribute. Once you know it's, Oh, Ted Cruz. All right. Well, we know he's a crazy, you know, fringe guy, not going to vote for him. Uh, but if you take his name off it, then you're evaluating things a little. I love your idea of having a website. Maybe you can do this in 2020, where you have everybody who's registered with the the Federal Election Commission, and they have everybody gets a 
get their headshot, their policy positions. You can do a deep dive. You got a link to their to their site. That's got to be it. That's got to happen in 2020. Somebody's got to do that. I, I would think that I, I have no way of knowing for sure naturally, but I just have to have a feeling that by 2020, the the number of people, because it, it rose, God, I think in 2012, if I remember, it was around 500 people totally filed. Uh, 2016, it was about 1,800. I can easily see that number practically doubling, just yeah. the level of dissatisfaction now, and, and it's only going to, I mean, somewhere out of that, you know, 1,800 people. This is America. There's going to be people with good ideas. You know, that's the, the whole country is built on. We all have good ideas, and we can we're free to share them. So why not give people that opportunity? I mean, it would be great to start it. Uh, I think ultimately, one of the news organizations or or a network, it's incumbent upon them to do it uh, first because they're going to get the eyeballs. That's where it, it does the best. If you're MSNBC.com, you've got people coming there already. So do this, and that will be a benefit. But I'm happy to start it. If, uh, you know, I have no computer knowledge whatsoever, uh, later I'm actually going to have to have my son look at my phone and figure out what's wrong with the speaker. Uh, <laughs> I know nothing about how to do any of this. But, uh, you know, I'm, somebody knows how to put a website together and, uh, you know, wants to undertake that project, I'm, uh, I'm totally there. Yeah, there's got to be some grant money for that somewhere. But I love, I just love the fact that your book is um, doing its whatever small part, but hopefully a bigger part as time goes on, because it really is the you you were around for a a pivotal time in, in American political history. But the idea that you're moving forward, this idea that that uh, we all have ideas, we all have aspirations of making this a better country and, and, and helping out our, our fellow countrymen. And, and, and why not, why not put my ideas out there? Why not run? And, and, and the idea that's somebody you've never heard of might be a better choice than the guy we voted in. Well, that doesn't seem so far fetched right now at all. This is the time. So, uh, the, the, I love the fact that you were able to, to push the conversation forward and, and man, I, I really would just, I hope that um, anybody who's who's interested in this stuff will find this book, read this book, appreciate this book, and and appreciate what you're what you're trying to do here is just open it up, open it up, to, uh, really open up democracy. Really, it, it it would be nice when I sort of reflect on the what the world was like. It's you know like light years away now when I started doing this in spring of 2015, and, and the landscape then versus now. I mean, back then it was it was Politics was boring. We thought it was just going to be Hillary and Jeb, and nobody cares. Nothing will change, uh, and and that turned out to not be true. Uh, so we, you know, for for better or worse, we're certainly in a very different place now than we were two years ago. Uh, and politics is boring, and people are paying attention. Uh, so, you know. I'm, I was kind of glad to be there at the beginning. If if somehow this pushed the conversation along, that's great. Uh, but you know, I do think it's time for the next the next phase of this transition uh, into you know a more democratic democratic society. 
Uh, yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, if nothing else, that comes through, and uh, you know, and I can contribute to that a little bit. Yeah, for sure, man. And um, well, I got oh, we got to figure out. I got to figure out. We both need to figure out how to how to get get more people to know about this and to appreciate it because it seems like everybody who reads it um, connects with it. So um, I think the I think this thing will have legs and. and because it, you were around doing this at an interesting time in in our in our country, it'll people will discover this for many years to come. I hope that would be nice. And uh, and yeah, trust me, it's not just my family that uh, that bought it uh, or left all those <laughs> nice reviews on Amazon. They did, hopefully. Uh, yeah. But uh, but you know, I, I like to think that there are some people who just came upon it uh, and. You know, like, like the notion that, uh, you know, we should all do our crazy thing, even if it's politics. Yeah. And before I let you go, I, I, I know one of the, one of your, um, motivating factors in doing this was your, your, your son, your only son was going off to college and you wanted to, to give him the gift of, uh, the inspiration of, you know, chasing your dreams and going for it against all odds and, and how's two years later? How's that worked out? Did he? Did he? First of all, did he read it, and was he inspired by it? Uh, um, no, and I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> it's cause he's he's a nineteen year old, you know, who's uh, been a college freshman and sophomore. So somehow, I think the idea of uh, your dad's book. And learning how to drink out of, uh, you know, doing a keg stand. Uh, I don't think there's an equal weight placed on both of those things. Uh, so uh, I don't think he's actually read it. Uh, I know he's got it. When I moved him back in for sophomore year, he did have his copies sitting there. Uh, so, um, you know, I have, I have no idea if, if he has. I doubt it. Uh, but, you know, I will say that he does has sort of defined what it is he wants to do, uh, you know, in terms of a career, uh, and is, is going for it and trying new things. Um, and by new things he's trying, I don't just mean different ways to mix tequila. I mean, I think <laughs> thing that he's learned, uh, but, uh, he wants to be a journalist though, right? I thought, isn't he following in your footsteps? Uh, he wants to be sports like the world of sports, but yeah, he, Foolishly, has not seen the the lack of employment of his father, uh, and has decided to go into the the sports business or to the journalism business, but on the sports end. Uh, it's uh, you know, I will we'll say at least he's learned something in college because we were in the grocery store over the weekend and walked by. We wanted to go get like some water, or something to drink, and we walked by the beer section. And uh, he did say, uh, you know, I don't know if I should tell you this because you're my dad and everything, but. Yeah, see all those beers? Never buy those. They're nasty. So he has learned something. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, he, he has learned to be discriminating in his beer drinking. So thank God for the education system. Well, that's uh, at least he's learned something. But here's my prediction. I know that I, when I was his age, um, you know, I had this grandfather who, who did all these amazing things. He he rode a uh, motorcycle across America in the 30s with the kind of the sidecar. I met my grandmother and 
and rode her back to California. And, and as a kid, hearing him go go on and tell the same stories repeatedly, I was tuning out. Nothing was resonating. But years later, I'm like craving those stories. So my prediction is, at some point, your boy hopefully you'll still you'll still be alive when this is happening. But he's gonna read this. He's gonna dive in, and he's gonna love it so much that he's gonna wish that he was chewing your, you know, talking your ear off and, and asking you a million questions when you're in the, in the midst of it. But hey, he's in college. He's distracted. It happens. Yeah, it's, uh, I just, I figure at some point I'll tell him, uh, you know, if he wants his inheritance, you better damn well read the book. Uh, <laughs> well, the damn thing was you, you, you dedicated the damn book to him and, and his sister, so he's got to read it at some point. His, his name's right there in the front of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somehow he's he, uh, you know, has snuck a little bit. Actually, I, I gave him a few extra copies that he said he gave to friends. So maybe, maybe the pressure will come from the friends going, God, you see what your dad said about you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if that happens. I, I've written about him too much. I think he's a little over it at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's just a, he's a character in your many tales. Um, Isn't everyone? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, so do you think this was productive? How do you how do you feel about this thing? I know we talked before we went, and I never posted the damn thing. But this thing's getting posted, and and um, I had a long chat with Vermin in Brooklyn last weekend. So we'll maybe do a back to back Craig and Vermin yeah, together again. Together again. Oh, it was uh, it was it was pretty fascinating. He told me a lot of the stories that he told you for the book, and then some. So it's uh, it's a doozy. Did he did he told you about this Jerry Springer um, experience, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I used it, but yeah, no, I remember uh, being very impressed by that. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and further proof of his brilliance. Uh, not Jerry Springer's brilliance, but the <laughs> Berman. Uh, although I think Jerry Springer's kind of brilliant too, but. Yeah. Different way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, yeah. No, I I hopefully talked a little bit about his his interesting childhood because that's what made him Berman the way he grew up uh, with uh, you know the the mom and the uh, the Hell's Angels and all that stuff. He didn't even talk about the mom. I know he talked about his giving his mom giving a, the kidney to his mom and and the high school stuff, but he did not get into the Hell's Angels stuff and. So a two-hour conversation, shit. Oh, that's too bad because he, um, yeah, I mean, he. I, I think it was his dad who repaired motorcycles or something. Was in the motorcycle world, and uh, that he would see Hell's Angel guys just sort of hanging out around the house. Uh, and his mom, yeah, God, I can't even remember now. It's been two years, but it's already slipped my mind. But I believe his mom uh, grew up in foster homes or had a foster uh. parents who were just horrible to her. Uh, and very rigid and very strict. So she always said, you know, if I have kids, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be a, you know, big, big freedom mom. Uh, and the end result of, uh, you know, those evil step parents is eventually Vermin Supreme. Wow. So it's, uh, I, you know, I've always been fascinated to track back to the actual beginning of what makes somebody what they are. Yeah, and that makes total that makes total sense now hearing that story, right? Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I can't remember all of it, but I, I remember him talking a little bit about 
you know, his mom kind of giving him license to do just about anything. And when you're growing up and you're going out to the front yard, and Hell's Angels are out there drinking beer and working on their bikes. You know, that's much different than my childhood. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that, that influenced him. And, and then his time in high school where he was the gadfly. I don't know if he talked about that kind of stuff. He did. He definitely got into that stuff. You know, the, the early, the early prankster stuff. He's a fascinating guy, and I feel like he's been given the short shrift in the in the American media landscape. They they definitely paint him as the 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 clown, and he there's there's a lot more going on there than than just the guy with the the crazy guy with the bullhorn and the boot on his head. Well, although I mean the media being what it is, if you've got a bullhorn and a boot on your head you're not going to get taken seriously, no matter how bright you are. Uh, it's uh, On the flip side is, I think if Jeb Bush had put a boot on his head and walked around with a microphone, he would have done better. So, you know, it, it just depends on the person, I suppose. Well, this is the boot The boot is just a lightning rod. He, he's, he's very um, frank about that. that you, you throw the boot on, on your head, you're going to get noticed. And you know, you, then you're then it's a matter of fighting through the the, the misconceptions that people are going to have just by the virtue of the fact that you do have a boot on your head. You'll you'll get noticed, but they're going to think you're nuts. And he's he's constantly working against that, or not? Oh, uh, yeah. It's uh, well, maybe for 2020, he starts wearing a suit and a tie and uh, you know, a little bit of a beard trim. Uh, oh, no. Keep the beard, throw yeah, suit and tie, and the boot on the head with without trimming the beard. I think might be might get him places. Uh, it's I just actually, and I know he would he would never agree with this. You can tell him, but I, I think the ultimate kind of prank now for him to be would be for him to shave and cut his hair and put on a suit and uh, go out and present himself as the the new and improved Vermin Supreme. He's learned his lesson. <laughs> Uh, no more boot. I'm going to be the, uh, the suit and tie guy. Uh, and that would be the ultimate kind of prank because nobody would be expecting that. Yeah. And nobody would recognize him for one thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think that would actually be the brilliant thing, too, is he could slide in anywhere uh, and keep, his, keep the mentality of Roman Supreme, uh, you know, but suddenly he's getting invited to, uh, you know, Republican Party meetings and things like that. Uh, and, uh, and working his genius from the inside. So there, there's my suggestion. It'll never happen because it's Vermin. Yeah. Yeah. That's not happening. I think it was, I think it would be fun. Yeah. The boot is iconic. And I, he, he actually sounds like that was kind of what he was doing on the Springer show. Um, I think he had the, wasn't he in a suit and tie and he was, uh, yeah, well, it was with the group. I, I can't remember what they were called, but like it was the group. Oh, they were the they were the pro suicide group. If you wanted to commit suicide, it was a suicide uh, preservation group or something like that. Yeah, you'll have you'll have to listen to my Vermin podcast to to recall that one. Here's your little teaser. <laughs> is how is it posted? Like through like I haven't posted it yet. I just re I just I just recorded. It. I haven't have yet to edit it. It's like a two-hour conversation. So I think I'm going to – I think I'll do yours first, post this first, and then I'll do his a week later. Yeah, I mean, either way, I guess uh, timing it to maybe when the, the new edition is available. Uh, okay. All right, well, thanks for doing this too. Sorry to go on a long time, but 
Oh, it's all good. No, thank you. And I wish, you know, we could, we could do more and we'll see if, if anything happens, we can talk again down the road. But in the meantime, we got to get people reading this book. We got to get it in schools. I think professors need to assign this thing for their civics classes. Uh, you know, it would be nice. It would still be you know nice to get the media to pay attention. But I think we saw that doesn't. That's, that's hard to get, and when you do, it doesn't necessarily translate. There's, exactly. You know, so, something else that, uh, you know, gets, gets people talking. But a, a, a super push to get reviews. I mean, God, there's a way to get to 100. I think they can't ignore it. Once you get to 100, I like to think. Um, uh, I, I have no idea what the magic number is for, for Amazon, but if we could get to 100 and keep the rating up sort of where it is, I mean, that's good things could happen. Best sales tool. Hopefully, yeah. that's the best sales tool. So, hopefully. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, all right. Well, thanks. Actually, I got to run and pick up my daughter at school now. So. Okay. Well, thanks for talking to me, Craig. I appreciate it. And, and uh, we'll do what we can to get this book in front of uh, as many people as we possibly can. Yeah. No, that's great. Whatever, whatever you need from me, just let me know. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. That's our show for this week. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for giving us a listen. And thanks to my guest, Craig Tomashoff. His book is The Candidates Running for President When Nobody Knows Your Name. If you haven't bought a copy, get one now. If you've already got a copy, get the second edition for a friend, for your local library, for your local coffee shop. You know it's great. It's a great story, very timely. It's all about the idea of activating your citizenship and getting involved. It's a very timely book considering we just put somebody in the White House who most of us never thought could ever get in that White House. Donald Trump, the ultimate candidate. They said it couldn't be done. So thanks to my guys, Craig Tomashoff. I'm Bob Macklow. This is my podcast, Two Degrees of Bob. Thanks for checking us out. Come back next time. Adios, amigos. Trump's going